And when you get there, we'll open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful, even as we consider the season in which we are in, Christmas, as we look forward to the manger, to the coming of Christ, to Emmanuel, God with us, and then beyond that, to the cross and to the empty tomb, to all the hope that is in Christ, the joy that is ours. Even tonight as we gather, even tonight as we have sung these songs, focusing on your incarnation, as we turn our attention now to to Psalm 10, may your spirit uh, speak to us through your word. May you challenge us, may you encourage us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked and his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desires. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked and his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the men of the earth may oppress no more. As you turn to Psalm 10, I don't know if your Bible, my my Bible has a a, um, kind of a title for this psalm that the translators have added, and it says, A Song of Confidence in God's Triumph over evil. It's an interesting title because that's not a title at all that fits the first 11 verses of this chapter. In fact, going off that, that title, reading those first 11 verses, you're, you're, you're almost thinking a song of confidence in God's triumph over evil. What I see is the confidence of the wicked. 
And yet this song comes full circle, and by the time we get to the end, we see that it is a song of confidence of God's triumph over evil. Psalm 10 starts with a problem. And the problem is this, it's in verse 1, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? This is the way the psalmist feels. As he sits, as he looks around at at his world, at the, the problems that are crashing in on him, the pressure that he feels, this is what he feels. Where are you, Lord? Why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Where have you gone? I don't feel you. You seem absent. Although I don't know that any of us would be bold enough to to verbalize that feeling, I think many of us have felt that before. I think many of us have come to to times, to points in our life where, where we find ourselves in a situation where the things of earth, the pressures of life, what is around us seems so real and so present and God seems so absent. And we may not say it out loud, but deep down inside our hearts cry out, God, where are you? Spurgeon noted that this is a fair question. And there's several reasons that that you could feel this way. The first he mentions is sin. It could be not that God has, has separated from you, God won't separate from you, but, but you have separated yourself from God. You have put sin between you and God. Something that is hurting that relationship. The other is a trial of grace. It's an interesting way to, to phrase that, a trial of grace. It seems almost like two opposite things. A trial, something that is painful, something that is difficult, and, and then the grace of God. A gift, a good thing. How can a trial be a good thing? Because as believers, we know that God is working all things for our good. Even the trials we go through are serving a purpose that God is working in them. He is molding us. So maybe that's the situation in which, which God feels afar off and, and, and you're struggling. And, and, and what's happening is, is not that God has, has left you, but that he's working in you. He's bringing you to a point. Maybe he's strengthening your faith or he's instructing you in an issue. But but whatever the problem is, when you feel this way, it's not that God has left. It's that God is at work. He is doing something in you. Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 talks about the light momentary affliction in comparison with the the glorious future that God has for us, what he is working in us, what he is doing. And that's the hope that we have as believers. When you feel this way, when, when life is bearing down on you, when the things of this world seem far more real and present than God, God hasn't abandoned you. God is at work in you. Just hold on. Cling to his truth. 
So the question then is what brings the psalmist to this point where he's having this issue, this problem? Where are you, Lord? And as you work your way through verses 2 to 11, what you see is that it's because the wicked are flourishing. The righteous, those who are trying to obey God, those who are trying to, to do the right thing, who are seeking after God, they are suffering. They're being persecuted. Things aren't, aren't going right in their life, and yet all this time, the wicked are flourishing. Look what it says, the wicked in his pride, he persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised for the, the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He's boasting out loud in the public square. He's letting people know things are going great. My life is awesome. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. What boldness of the wicked. These aren't just secret sins. These are, they are out front. They are boasting. They're renouncing the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not see God. Contrary to the righteous who seek God. They don't seek God. In fact, they renounce the Lord. Interesting thing to note in verse 4 is it's the, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. It's his pride that keeps him from seeking after God. How often is that the case? The offense of the gospel, the stumbling block of the gospel is not a result of the grace of God but of the pride of man. It's our pride that keeps us from God. That's what we're seeing in Galatians on Sunday morning as we work through that. We desire to, to earn it. Surely I can do something. Surely I'm not that bad. Surely I'm a little bit good. It's our pride that keeps us from seeking God. God is in none of his thoughts. He doesn't even consider him. And yet, here's the kicker, and yet... His ways are always prospering. He's proud. He's boastful. He renounces the Lord. God is in none of his thoughts, and yet he's prospering. Where are you, God? Why is he prospering and I'm not? He goes on. Your judgments are far above, out of sight. He never even considers them. As for his enemies, he sneers at them. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Again, we see the, the, the brazenness, the foolish confidence of the wicked. No one can bother me. No one can get in my way. I shall not be moved. At this point, you're working your way through Psalms 10 and you look at this title, a song of confidence in God's triumph over evil. What I see is the confidence of the wicked. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages and the secret places. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He's abusive. He's heartless. 
He's, he's flourishing, he's strong, and yet he's taking advantage of the helpless, the weak, the poor. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. And he catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low. Everything that he does is working out. Things are falling into place. Things are going well for him that the helpless may fall by his strength. And he has said in his heart, here again in these next three lines, we see the brazen pride, the blasphemy of the wicked. God has forgotten. In fact, not only has God forgotten, he hides his face. Not only has God forgotten you, God doesn't even care about you. He's turned his face from you. He's purposefully turned away from you. He will never see. He doesn't care. What blasphemy. What boldness. What brazenness. The wicked. And so the psalmist asks, where are you? Lord, how can you, how can you put up with this? That's what we see in verse 12. In verse 12 we see, answer for our sake. In verse 13, answer for your sake. Arise, O Lord. God, lift up your hand. Don't forget the humble. Notice the contrast between the humble with the proud. The wicked are proud. The righteous are humble. Don't forget the humble. Those of us who do seek the Lord. Those of us who do care. Answer us for our sake. But verse 13, and more importantly, answer for your sake. Why do the wicked renounce God? Don't you see that they're renouncing you? He said in his heart, you will not require an account. He's renouncing you. He's saying, God doesn't care. God will not call me to account for my actions. He could care less. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, that's not who I know you to be. You are a just God. You're a God who hears. You're a God who cares. Answer for your sake. Spurgeon again on that, on that last line, you will not require an account, says he who disbelieves hell distrusts heaven. If he believes that there's no, no calling to account for his sins, for his actions, if he looks around and he sees, I am flourishing. I have no need for God. Again, we see his pride. Verse 14 but you have seen. Here's the answer to the problem. You have seen. For you observe trouble and grief. Wicked deeds do not escape the eyes of a just God. You see. You hear. And not only do you hear, but you hear to repay it by your hand. He is wrong when he says, you will not require an account, for you are a just God and you will repay it. We have a statement of confidence that next, that helpless commits himself to you. Those who are helpless. 
those who are weak, those who are being taken advantage of by these wicked, we commit ourselves to you. It's a statement of confidence. I don't, I don't feel you. I don't know where you are, but I'm trusting in you. I'm committing myself to you. A confident declaration of trust that the Lord sees, that the Lord will act. And so I submit to the Lord. You are the helper of the fatherless, the weak, the helpless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Let none of his sin go unpunished. The God who sees all will call to account for all. He's a just God. And the wicked who who thinks he flourishes now, he will not get away with it. God will call him to account. And he will account for all his sin. In verse 13, the psalmist almost, he's looking to the future. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand, out of his land. He he starts the psalm with, with, where are you, Lord? I don't see you. I don't know where you are. And and even though I may not feel you now, even though I may not see you now, I know what's going to happen in the end. I know that the Lord is king forever and ever. I know that the nations will perish out of his land. Revelation 21, he will make all things new. He's bringing all things to an end. He's a just God. He's a God who's at work. And the psalmist takes comfort in that, in that fact, the fact that the Lord is king. In fact, that's kind of a theme that we've seen so far in the first ten chapters of Psalm, or the first ten Psalms. And we'll see it in the rest of Psalms. The Lord is king. He reigns over the earth, the world, the universe. Verse 17. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Notice the confidence there. You have heard. Not you will hear. You've heard. As I have cried to the Lord, even though I don't feel you, I know that you've heard me. You have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. You've not abandoned us. You'll prepare their heart, the heart of the humble. God will give grace for this situation. He will speak into your heart. He will give you the grace, the strength that you need. He's not abandoned us. He will give grace. He will hear our cries. And he will act justly. Verse 18, to do justice. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice. God doesn't just hear. God doesn't just see. God acts. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. The phrase, the man of the earth, points to the, the it brings out the weakness of man. This, this wicked man who looks so strong, 
The wicked who seem to be flourishing and no one can touch them and everything seems to be going their way and yet compared to you, they are weak. When you speak, when you, when you act, they may oppress no more. They have no power compared to the power of the sovereign God. So, several observations. First, God may seem silent, but he's never absent and he's never idle. There's several reasons, as we talked about at the beginning, where, where God may seem absent in your life. There's several things. It could be sin. It could just be a trial that you're going through that God has brought into your life for a specific purpose. Whatever it is, he may seem silent, but he's never absent. He's never idle. He's always at work. He knows exactly where you are, exactly what you are going through. And he always hears. The same psalmist who in verse 1 says, Where are you, Lord? In verse 17 and 18 says, You have heard. Secondly, Notice that worldly success is no indication of divine blessing. How often do we tend to see the world through that lens? We see worldly success and we assume, God, he must be doing something right, God. Where, why haven't, where's my success? But worldly success is no indication of divine Blessing. I thought of this uh, illustration. It actually just popped into my head, so I'm not completely sure if it's going to work or not, so bear with me. <laughs> but I remember in, in high school, right? We all know those people who peaked in high school, right? And I remember as a young man being jealous of them because as you looked at them in high school, right? They were at the top of the food chain. Things were going good. Everything seemed to be falling into their lap. Their parents let them get away with everything. And I would look at my parents and say, why can't I do that? Because my parents cared. My parents had a bigger view than just high school. And that's often how it is in life. Someone may be having success now. And God may allow them to do that. But their view is limited. They're peaking here on earth. God has a bigger view. And he is doing something in you. Another observation, God sees, God hears, and God will act justly. Sin will not go unpunished, and your cries will not go unheard. It's kind of the thrust of this psalm that's repeated on more than one time. God sees, God hears. And then the third one, which is important, God acts. He's active. And the final observation, we live in a sin-cursed world. And it's riddled with injustice and unfairness, but God is at work to make all things new. God is, is making all things new. He's at work. 
And it's verse 16, that the comfort that the psalmist takes from this verse, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. He's looking forward to a day, but he's speaking with a confidence. This will happen. It's as if it has happened. God will reign. The wicked will be removed. And we too have that confidence, that hope. And so our prayer focus. Find comfort in the fact that God hears. When you pray, approach God confidently, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if you don't feel like praying, know that God hears. Find solace in the fact that God is at work, even if you don't feel like it. Find hope in the promised grace of God for today and the promise that God is making all things new. Grace for today and grace for the future. And find comfort in God's character that we see in this psalm. God is omniscient. He knows all. He sees all. He hears all. He's omnipotent. He's powerful and able to act. He's omnipresent. He, he sees all. He's sovereign. He is gracious. He is just. He is loving. He cares. So as we go to prayer, find comfort in those. 